You are listening to Scars and Guitars, the podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you're doing very well. You're about to listen to a conversation between myself and a fellow called Vaughan Davies. He is the guitarist in excellent Perth outfit, Simone and Girl Funkle. The reason for the conversation was to promote the band's new album, which is called Hold On. I do encourage you to go online and check it out. But let's have a listen to what Vaughan has to say. Here we go. Vaughan, welcome to the show. According awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And according to the Simone and Girl Funkle bio on Facebook, your new album, Hold On, is spearheaded by new sing- the new single and opener Girls, which is a self-described war cry declaring that the gender-equal band won't be stepped on. So what else can listeners can expect or what do they need to know about the album? Um, it's been a little while in the making, um, five years since the last one. It's um, The songwriting and everything sort of evolved a bit, uh, whilst there are sort of, you know, your more tender, folky numbers um, with lots of great harmonies from the girls. Um, the band sort of has really evolved into a band and taking full advantage of, you know, everything that we have to offer there. So there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Girls is a pretty unashamed pop number um there are a few on there then some softer moments which are just the girls and maybe a tiny bit of instrumentation some acapella stuff some slightly heavier stuff from us not particularly heavy in general but for us yeah (laughs) i use a fuzz pedal you know that's pretty extreme for us (laughs) um yeah i don't know it's just just a nice simple quick little pop folk record really yeah Oh, good on you. And, you know, what are the lyrical themes across the album? Because that statement there about girls is, um, you know, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. But so what else did you guys talk about across the album? Um, yeah, there's all kinds of bits and pieces, sort of your good old standards of love and loss, whether that's, you know, relationships or pets and stuff, um, and then just other aspects of relationships and, you know, just the good and the bad and everything that comes with that sort of personally driven stuff. But um, leaving it vague enough and open enough for people to make their own meaning out of too, which I always quite like with songs. Yeah, cool. So what are your ambitions for the album? Is it Kiss-style world domination or is it something closer to home? Oh, man, always. You know, if that's on the cards, that's always great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess it's just, uh, I mean, just to try and get a few more shows, um, some decent shows and supports and bits and pieces like that, Mm -hmm. chuck in a bit of a tour and, um, I don't know, just keep, we're all pretty good friends, so it's just an excuse to have a bit of fun together and whatever comes from that um, is always a very welcome bonus. Cool, mate. Now, Dave Parkin, who also produced Tired Line and Jebediah, Mm -hmm. he he sorted out your album, and also William Bowden, who looked after Gautier, engineered the album mate so there's some wonderful names associated with the band already how did you link with the pair and can you tell us about what it was like working with them yeah um william batten did the mastering he's a bit of a mastering king i think everyone pretty much just hits him up and hopes that he's free and he does his wizardry with everything um so that's always welcome and um we've all worked with parko before in various bits and pieces or other bands um and he's just he's great he's such a good dude to get on with he's got such a good ear and just picks up little bits and pieces and goes oh hey what about trying it this way or you know he's always just keeping it interesting and keeping everyone's confidence up and just making it you know a really easy and fun experience and um i don't know he's kind of just the go-to guy in perth i think if you're lucky enough to get some time with him which is pretty hard to come by but um yeah it's always good fun working with dave so I noticed on your Skype profile it said Melbourne. So are you from Melbourne or is a band from Perth? Ah, okay. This I obviously made the Skype profile when I was living <laughs> in Melbourne. 
<laughs> oh, there you go. So um, you are from WA. Yeah, yeah, we're all from WA. I lived in Melbourne for a couple of years, but yeah, back in Perth. Um, so I've been back here for four years, so I should really change that. Okay. Look, I get <laughs> the good thing is I get a lot of opportunities to chat to bands from Western Australia. And I've got to ask, what is going on over there? What's in the water? Because so many of the best bands creating music in Australia in 2017 or and 18 are coming from the West. Have you got a theory on that? Um, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good combination of a bunch of things. I mean, I assume sort of similar to Queensland, it's a bit more laid back than some other places. So you kind of just do your own thing without, you know, too much of a thought of how it may fare or how it may not fare. You just kind of do it because you want to do it. Um, the scene, whilst being pretty diverse, is quite sort of small and everyone kind of knows each other regardless of genre and you sort mm-hmm. of get along, go to each other's gigs and know what's going on. There's a pretty good, you know, same thing with 4ZZZ. We've got our community radio station over here who are really active and, um, yeah, everyone just sort of gets around them and goes to bits and pieces and I don't know. I think everyone's just pretty happy to see good people doing good things so it all just comes from that. Has oh, Perth got... Like the Brisbane thing where you share band members with other bands? Oh, yeah, totally. Like our last single launch, the one of the other supports, Dan, our guitarist, is in it. Um, I We've all been in handfuls of other bands over bits and pieces of time, and that's kind of, you know, how you know everyone and everyone builds from there. If you're ever looking for a new member, you sort of go, oh, what, what are my mates up to who aren't active at the moment? There's just, I don't know, it's a nice little community thing. And even the venues, you know, the people at the venues and stuff, and it's, I don't yeah. know. I think it's just big enough yet small enough to um, just have that little community vibe. Hmm. What are some of the other bands that you've worked with over there in Perth? So when you're putting on some shows, and not just Perth, or regional Western Australia, but who do you look to work with? Or is it just a case of whoever's putting on shows and whoever's convenient for you to work with is the way that it tends to trend? Yeah, I mean, we always sort of, I don't know, we've got a few bands we quite like, so we try to hit them up whenever we can. But, I mean, quite often... Bands are pretty active playing shows here and there, so it's sometimes just a bit of a process of elimination of um, you know all your favourite local acts and seeing who's free or who's keen, really. Um, regional stuff quite often just comes from other people hitting us up, although hopefully with the album and stuff we'll put a few more things together. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're pretty happy just to play sort of any sort of show, so mm-hmm. um, we're quite lucky in that. Well, you know, without anything too extreme, we managed to fit onto a few different lineups. Um Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we just sort of take it as it comes. Like, there are some favourites, but happy to do whatever's offered for the most part, just to get out of the house, have a bit of fun. <laughs> I reckon you guys would go down a treat with a band called Armand Soy from Perth. Have you heard of those guys? I have heard of them. They played um, at an RTR thing last weekend. I don't know, my timing's about last weekend or the weekend before, but I didn't actually get down, get down in time to see them. So I'll have to check them out. Cool. So you mentioned before you're a parent. How do you balance, you know, day job, being in a band and also being a parent? Um, I mean, he's only nine weeks old, so it's all pretty new at the moment. Luckily, he's a pretty easygoing little dude and a good sleeper and eater, and we haven't had too many issues, and my wife is killing it, which thankfully makes my life easier. Um, <laughs> so it's just, I don't know, you just sort of try your best and try and do everything you want to do and try and be at home as much as you can as well and just got to try and balance that out. For now, it's all good. Um, mm. I can't say if it's making me any more or less tired than I would be because, you know, there's that general fog of having a newborn anyway. So Indeed there is, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's pretty good fun. It gives me something else to focus my energy on both ways, which is always pretty good. Because part of the, uh, you know, the parent fraternity, I can tell you the first one t- tends to lull you into a sense of security. 
it's a second one when they come along that they tend to kick your ass a little bit, if you don't mind me saying. And I'm speaking as a, a parent of two children, one of the two parents of two <laughs> children. And, uh, yeah, our second one definitely uh, gave us the hell that our first one didn't. So <laughs> Yeah, we've had that from a few people, like people who had, you know, an angel of a kid first up, and then they decided to have a second. And just as they did, the first one started, you know, becoming not quite as angelic and everything just became a bit harder. And they were like, oh, well, I mean, I guess at least we made the decision already because if we hadn't, maybe we wouldn't now. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I don't know. It? Yeah. Yeah. We're like, oh, he's, I mean, I don't even want to say it too much now, but touch wood, he's great at the moment. And hopefully that just keeps mm. going because it just makes it all so much easier. You know, you're not tearing your hair out. You're still getting some sleep, even if it is broken up. But, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's all pretty entertaining. That's, that's my main takeaway from it at the moment. Cool. <laughs> So back to the music, you are touring Western Australia and Victoria through March and April. So how did you go about selecting where to perform? Um, I think we were just seeing sort of who was available and what was up. Like a few of the venues, like Friends of Promoters or the other bands, <clears throat> excuse me, the other bands we jumped onto lineups with the friends as well when we were just trying to tee things up and the timing and everything just worked out quite nicely. Um so we're just pretty fortunate in that regard that it all came together quite easily without having to contact a heap of venues and everything. Um, yeah, gotcha. There he goes in the background. If you need to go and tend to him, you go for it. Yeah, that's like behind a door and down in the lounge room. No, I think it's all good. I think my, <laughs> wife will, my wife will call or send a text or shout if she needs. So, yeah, I'm it's good so him. nice to talk to somebody who's in a similar position to myself because it's usually me who's having to sort of you know shoot daggers at the door that's closed to hope that the noise from the baby stops when I'm interviewing yeah. somebody. So, yeah, I mean, We've, you know. We've got the added pleasure of having a sort of one-and-a-half-year-old little corgi, and I didn't know all corgis tend to do is alert you to anything and everything with the loudest <laughs> bark they can possibly muster. So um, he's not helping sometimes, but you know, they'll be mates eventually, which will be pretty good. Cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like on, on that, we had the Perth launch on Saturday at The Bird, and it just felt weird, a bit odd to be going out and at a gig and drinking and everyone was walking up to me being like, congratulations. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a bad dad. I'm allowed to be here. <laughs> yeah. It's always um, nice when that happens, when people can feel happy for you, isn't it? Yeah. It just feels a bit surreal. They're congratulating you on having your kid while, meanwhile, you're sort of out neglecting him and doing something else, but you know, <laughs> well, and roundabouts, I guess. If it helps, you get over it eventually because you need your sanity. You need to rem remain <laughs> part of yourself a part of the time. Yeah, I think that's part of it. There's a little bit of guilt there. You're like, oh, he's still so little, but also uh, there's only so much time I can spend at home. So just got to balance it out, yeah, for your sanity and his. Well, I think the first time I went to the football without um, my wife was when she was still in hospital, actually, because we, we went into a private hospital and had our first child. My wife had her, our first child in a private hospital. But we got to stay in there uh, with her as a John Flynn down here on the Gold Coast. And um, I went to watch a Storm v. Gold Coast Titans game, rugby league, of course. And yeah. Um, I felt I know your pain because I remember feeling terribly guilty about going to watch that game, um, and then having to go back to the hospital where my wife was still there. But she was like, "No, no, go, go. It's fine. I'd, I'd been up as well, helping out and all the rest of it." But I felt a bit like uh, Ralph Wiggum, you know, "I'm helping." You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had the same thing. He was born on um, born in mid Jan, and two nights later, I'm a huge Weezer fan, and they were um, doing the tour with Foo Fighters, but. I, uh, sort of unluckily, my wife and he were still in hospital, but you know I couldn't mm. stay the night, so um, she was kind enough to let me go and watch Weezer. So I was quite thankful for that. But yeah, uh, that was he was 
a day and a half old and people were like, congratulations. I was like, don't tell anyone you saw me here. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Weezer fan. Which, uh, which period did you get into them through? What album? I uh, started with Blue Album um, and still kept going probably a bit further than a lot of other people would. Um, to the point where I even have, with a few mates, we have a bit of a Weezer cover band who've played a handful of shows around the place, which is wow. pretty good fun too. That's awesome. Oh, Weezer are one of my favourite bands, actually, and I'm old enough to, to have gotten into them as a first-generation fan in 1994. Yeah. And um, their first two albums, especially Pinkerton, still knock my socks off. I think that album is one of the best albums ever written. Um, but they do, they, they're, a hard album, they're a hard act to follow after that, aren't they? The album is just sort of almost, with all due respect... They're no, nowhere near as good after those first two albums. Yeah, I mean, I still enjoyed sort of Green and Maladroit a bit, I think, just for the fact that they were doing stuff again. Um, but then, like, Make Believe was pr pretty difficult. Red had a couple of decent bits, and then I think I just... Each time the lead single was announced, I was like, oh, and it, the song would start, and I'd be like, yeah, okay, and then the lyrics came, and he just... He doesn't seem to sound like he cares when he delivers them anymore in the lyrics i don't know if they were always bad but i don't feel they were <laughs> um it's just bizarre like i guess people are still getting into them at this point and i'm like it's 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 an entirely different band um which you know is fine bands evolve and stuff but i don't know they just confuse me a bit but yeah i love those first two records so much and then a handful of singles here and there but um yeah i'm the same way actually yeah i thought um Pork and Beans and a few other singles that they'd released were, were very good, you know, but um, the first two albums, you could almost take any of the songs off them and they could be singles, but they're standalone tracks and I think the band agree with me on that point from the perspective that they toured off the back of the first two albums back in 2013. They toured Australia and just played yeah. those two albums. Yeah. Yeah, I was in Melbourne then, so fortunately got to go to the Blue and the Pinkston show. That was that was uh, pretty amazing. Pretty happy to do that. Perth only got the Blue album, so... Sorry, yeah. Perth. <laughs> so did we. Yeah, we, we only got the Blue Album as well. But I saw them back in 1996 on the Pinkerton tour. And when they were playing some B-sides, when they didn't have enough from the two the two albums or they wanted to mix it up. Fill a out bit. a set. Yeah, yeah, so they were playing songs like mine. Uh, not My Name is Jonas. They were playing songs uh, Jamie and uh, Suzanne. They were playing those two oh, songs. Oh, man. It was yeah, incredible. I think each show they chucked in one. So we got, I think they played You Gave Your Love to Me Softly at the Pinkerton Ooh. one. Nice. And... Yeah, I think the blue one, oh, was it Suzanne or was it something else? I can't recall, but yeah, they snuck in sort of two of, well, basically two of their best songs as B-sides, um, which is always pretty welcome. But mm. yeah, I just, I mean, even the B-sides used to be great. I don't, maybe going to Harvard for him wasn't the right decision, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. No, you know your stuff. You're right. I know there's, there's songs like Michael and Carly that are brilliant that people don't know about. Um, yeah. But you gave your love to me softly. That was on the single, the um, El Scorcho single, and I actually thought that was a better track than El Scorcho when it was first released. Yeah, that's I just that song's like just two minutes, and it's just amazing. It's so Perfect. much fun to play. It's yeah. Oh, you play it? You actually play it in the covers band? No, I tried to, but everyone's like, "What's this song? I don't know." And I was like, "God damn it, just learn it." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, no, it's so good to talk to somebody who gets the Weezer thing because it's, it's rare. Usually you get a lot of people who get into them the way people get into Foo Fighters, you know, the FM singles. But Weezer have got a lot of deep cuts that are very meaningful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like there are some songs which I shouldn't like on Make Believe and a couple on Red. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as you say with Foo Fighters, it's just weird. That whole show as well, like they played – I checked out the set list beforehand. They played – 
I can't remember. Say they played two hours. The songs, if you queued them up as a playlist, was an hour. So they just filled out another hour of padding with, you know, extended intros and outros yeah. and yeah, yeah. bridges and stuff. And I was just like, oh, man, just just play a song as it is for once. Like, jeez. Hmm. But everyone seemed to eat it up. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, actually, I just went. I've just come back from Soundwave in Melbourne, and I'm uh, not Soundwave. Sorry, what's it called? Download. Was it da- sorry, Download? Yeah. Sorry, I call it the same thing because it feels like that. Um, <laughs> but um, look, I, I'm by no means a fan, and I'll out myself now. But Limp Biscuit, when they played, I think they played. I mean, if they had an hour set, they would have played eight songs or so, or maybe less. And the rest yeah, of it right. was just sort of drawing out intros and the like. Now. I couldn't have given a shit either way, excuse my language, because I'm not a fan of the band, but I think a lot of fans of the band were disappointed that they, did, they didn't bring out more of the hits, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could maybe name almost eight Limp Bizkit songs without even having the slightest <laughs> bit of interest, so like a fan, also, I mean, I guess I'm still a Weezer fan in 2018, so I won't say Limp Bizkit fans existing in 2018 is bizarre, because hey, people can do what they want, but... Oh, it's um, kind of weird. Let's face it, it's kind of strange. Yeah. It was weird to see people who didn't look like they should have been into the band mouth the words along to the songs because I don't know the songs right, but they sound familiar. But yeah, you're not sure what the lyrics are. But it's that whole bro boy culture that was associated with them from the early two thousands that put me off big time. And and thankfully there was none of that down there. Watching them at download, they're actually. Fred Durst was quite concerned about people's welfare in the audience, and of course he would be after the catastrophe yeah. and the tragedy of 2001 or two, whenever that was, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was grateful to see that, but it's very, you know, it's pretty, the music is Neanderthal, right? It's, you know, big shouty choruses with sort of big sort of drawn-out verses and the like, and yeah, it's not intellectual music with all due respect. Sorry if anybody's listening that's a fan, but yeah, no. Go to Weezer. Go and listen to Weezer if you want to listen to music. Yeah. It's still rock music and go. it's still got a bit more substance to it. Yeah, get a pop writing uh, masterclass as well. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so your so your band name, oh, it's hilarious to be honest. Who, who came <laughs> up with that? So I only joined recently, well, a couple of years ago now, um, <clears throat> but it originally started out as just uh, Bridget, our sort of, leadish singer i suppose um and primary songwriter well she's the only songwriter then we all just flesh it out it started out her and another friend um so it was just a sort of duo um two girls just playing sort of folk acoustic songs so that was quite a fitting name then um and it's kind of just stuck around uh it's a funny one like whenever people go oh you're in a band what's its name i'm like okay so uh, you have to tell a bit of the lead up because with no lead up, it's a bit of a bizarre name. And you're like, oh, okay, so you a cover band or you a joke band? You're like, no, no, we we, we try to be authentic. <laughs> um, mm. But um, I don't know. I think it's always, I mean, most names, you pick it, you stick with it. And at some point you dislike it or whatever. So at least if there's a bit of levity to it, you know, mm. it's not a, not a huge thing. Um, and, you know, I think it kind of translates and conveys the vibe that we have a pretty good time and take it easy and, yeah, I, think I guess so. most, yeah. most names probably do. They're all a bit silly anyway, but, you know. Yeah, band names are also a figment of somebody's imagination, really, aren't they? Yeah, or yeah. when, I just remember, sort of, well, as a kid, sort of teenager, every record from the Smashing Pumpkins, they were apparently threatening to change their name because they really didn't like it, but it's like, it's just going to be something else silly, isn't it? What's the point? You've got one, stick with it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the reformation of those guys, you know, with the so-called original lineup minus Darcy Retsky? Yeah, it's pretty entertaining, mostly just seeing. I mean, I'm pretty certain Corgan's basically insane. Um, he'd argue that, but he'd argue it and just 
you know, support my case. <laughs> He's a weird guy, isn't he? I mean, I always saw him as being quite a, I don't know what you call him, like a snag, sensitive new age guy, but then he started getting into all the Alex Jones stuff and the conspiracy theories, and it turns out he's got his own wrestling company. Yeah, he had the wrestling company thing, which was just bizarre. He's a confusing dude for someone who, I don't know, has written some pretty good stuff along with some pretty not good stuff. But, um, yeah, he's a pretty perplexing guy. Um, I mean, it's I don't know how much, I mean, you've always sort of used to hear that he'd do the bass lines anyway and maybe do yeah. most of the guitar parts. Um, you can hear so that, mostly... though, in the music, that it's, that like, with all due respect to Darcy, you could actually hear that it was him writing that, once you, as a musician, I'm a bass player and a guitarist, so you can sort of hook into the way people write things, and the way that he was writing the bass lines was the way that whoever wrote the guitar stuff for the Smashing Pumpkins would write the bass lines, a.k.a. Billy would write it. So yeah. you could hear that. And so I thought, well, yeah, but there's also the public presentation of the band and the way, you know, the whole uh, image associated with the band. And, yeah, I, and then he, he talked about some of the – and I've actually seen the photos of Darcy Retsky recently. I don't know if yeah. you've seen them, of course. No. They're not good. They're not crash yeah, okay. and there might be some substance to some of the things that he's been talking about. So, I mean, I don't know. I only go by what I see on the internet and what the media feeds me, okay? Um, but he might actually have a point there, and there's no doubt that he probably tried for the fans. It's like a, you, if you're a metal fan, the Megadeth thing, where Megadeth tried to get back the uh, Rust in Peace lineup from 1990, and um, there was contractual disputes or something like that. I think Billy's, but Billy's a real sensitive soul, so it's probably about yeah. whether or not he can deal with the people that are in the band or not. He seemed like, I don't know, even from the start, that whole sort of screenshotted text message exchange, I, I don't know, I just kind of got the vibe that he was doing it to ask, but always with the intention of not actually allowing it to happen. Um, I don't know, just every message was like, oh, you know, but I understand if with your shoulder and this and that, but if you come out for one song or something, but, you know, we have to do this right. And it was all just leading to basically either annoying her or just forcing her to be like, you know what, don't worry about it. Well, they could have done what Guns N' Roses did with Stephen Adler, which is offering one or two songs per per gig, you know what I mean? I know Stephen and Darcy have very different reasons for not participating in the in the in the reformation of their respective bands, but yeah, fans love this stuff, don't we? I mean, we get very nostalgic about bands that we grew up with. Yeah, I mean even I like I saw them oh, whenever they came out for V Festival ages ago. I can't even remember if Chamberlain was there. Yeah, two thousand and seven. Um, that's right. Oh, two thousand seven or eight was that? Or uh, nine? God, might have been. Yeah, I don't know. That. I'm yeah. terrible with years. Um, but just I think they opened with Tonight Tonight, and just I was like, yep, that's good enough. I'm pretty happy with seeing that. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia. Like the Lemonheads were just over, and it's not even the Lemonheads. It's just Evan Dando and whoever else is turning up on stage with him. Um, but I still always love that. I don't know. There's just the stuff you grew up with, same with Weezer. Like, I will never not go see them, especially considering, you know, yeah, they didn't come to Australia for like 20 years or whatever. Um, well, here's a theory about Weezer, and I think I'd buy into it a little bit. They haven't released a good album since Matt Sharp's been in the band. Have you recognised that? Yeah, yeah, and even uh, Mikey Welsh was sort of okay. Then when he left, it's like, I, I don't like Scott Schreiner. <laughs> I'm with I'm you sure on that. I don't know what it is. What do you think it is, though? I mean, I can't relate to him. I don't. I don't even know him. But just, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't feel like as though he's part of the, part of the creed. You know, he just doesn't feel like he's meant to be in the band. Yeah, a lot of other Weezer fans I know just don't like him either. I don't. He just. I mean, I think isn't he like an ex-marine or something? He doesn't look like he fits the part, and I don't know. Maybe he's okay, but uh, yeah, Matt Sharp was a pretty huge part of it as well. I mean, especially for me. Um, 
so remove that and just his excellent bass tones and stupid backing vocals and it kind of loses a bit of its fun as well, I guess. Um, well, I think he wrote... Did you listen to the B-sides that were on... What was the other single from... There was two or three singles from Pinkerton. One of the singles had... I just threw out The Love of My Dreams, which had Nina Hagen, I think, from The Rentals sing on Yeah. Now, the yeah, Rentals I've still never listened to The Rentals. <laughs> oh, actually, I got into that. That was Matt Sharp's. That's where he played guitar rather than bass. Yeah, as much as I proclaim to love him, I've and a bunch of friends say, I think, is it their first record's really great? The I first record, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Return of the Rentals, that one's called. Yeah, it's a brilliant album, and... Um, it's not for everybody. Uh, it's got a Moog synthesizer all the way through it. So it's basically a heavier version of Weezer with this Moog synthesizer all over it with simpler song arrangements. Yeah, um, okay. And Patrick Wilson's the drummer. And I yep. actually met them back in 1996 and when they okay. came out with Weezer. And I actually was the only one that they told me that I was the only person that they met on the Australian tour that gave them the rental CD to sign. Yeah, okay. And uh, they were pretty chuffed with that. But there was no promotion back then for it. I sort of stumbled across it in a, in a uh, record store. Remember them? <laughs> in a record store with Matt Sharp's face on the front of it. That's how I knew it was, was him because of his face was in the front of it. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't know. We I spent a bit of time growing up in Southeast Asia, so maybe maybe the rentals didn't crack the market there to get you mm. know released on mass uh, illegal pirated cassette tapes but Weezer certainly did <laughs> <laughs> it is like that it was like that wasn't it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah cool mate that's it from me I'll ask you a final question how do people get into your music obviously you've got your Facebook page but how else can they connect with you guys uh, yeah we're sort of trying to be relatively active on social media and stuff so there's Facebook we've got a YouTube which we chuck bits and pieces up on um, got Instagram and Twitter and you know the music's available through you know iTunes Apple Music Spotify uh, you can buy the record on Bandcamp. I think it's up on SoundCloud too if you want to listen there. I think that's most avenues you can deliver music these days. Um, and yeah, we actually, I mean, as you say, we got actual CDs pressed, which is pretty old school and pretty entertaining. Cool. Um, so they're available too. But yeah, try and float around. I'm sure if you search Simona Girlfunkle, something related to us should pop up. And yeah, you can check it out there. All right. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my conversation with Vaughan Davies, who is the guitarist in excellent Perth outfit, Simone and Girl Funkle. Thank you so much for listening.